Praise God. This morning we're going to go ahead and continue on, like I said, in, in uh, chapter 14, and I've entitled this one, Take Care With Your Liberty. You see, in Christ, we have a lot, uh, a lot of liberties that the Jews didn't have. We have liberties, basically we don't have to follow this, this long list of rules and regulations like the Jewish people had to. They had to you know, be circumcised in order to be in accordance with the law. They couldn't eat certain things. They had to recognize certain days, and if they did not, then they were in violation of God's law. And there was this huge laundry list of rules. matter of fact, there's books in the Old Testament devoted to what they could and couldn't do. But in Christ, we're freed from the, the bondage of the law. We're freed from the, the, the regulations of the law. In Christ, we have liberty. We'll learn that we can eat what we want to eat. We don't have to worry about what we're eating is clean or unclean because in Christ, it is clean. We have liberty to do these things. But the truth is that, that even with these liberties, we need to take care that with our liberty, that we don't cause our, our fellow brothers and sisters around us to stumble, that we don't cause them any problems in, in, in exercising the liberty that we have. The next thing we need to understand is we need to be careful in how we perceive others that may have slightly different convictions or beliefs as us. You know, there's, there's certain things in the Bible that are cut and dry. You know, all of us can agree that, that we shouldn't steal, kill, or murder, right? That's, that's cut and dry in the Bible. But there are certain things that aren't necessarily, you know, you can't, you can't look up, am I allowed to do this, you know? And, and, and some stuff's just not in the Bible. And you have to rely on the conviction in your heart, what God has told you. And you'll see it in, in certain beliefs in the church. Denominations are built around sometimes people having different convictions in the body of Christ. And we need to be careful how we perceive others that have maybe slightly different convictions than us. And I'm not referring to salvation issues. The truth is that, that uh, uh, all Christian denominations can agree on that, that you need Jesus Christ to be saved. That's a salvation issue. That's something that... Uh, that we don't falter on. We don't, we, if, as long as they believe in that, we're good. That's our, our base foundation. And we can deal with the other stuff. They don't believe in, in speaking in tongues and the gifts of the Spirit. That's okay. I can still minister with them as long as they're teaching people that Jesus is the only way to salvation. The truth is that even with these differences, we can still co-labor together for the kingdom of heaven. But we must be very careful that we don't judge and condemn others for not believing some of the non foundational issues, some of the non-salvation issues, the same way that we might believe. The first verse we're going to look at is, is always uh, verse 1 in the chapter. Romans 14, 1-4 says, Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls. And he will stand for the Lord, for the Lord is able to make him stand. See, the truth is that in the body of Christ, there's, there's, we're many different people with many different levels of faith. And in different areas, we all have stronger areas of faith. But the Bible says that, that we're not to look down on others or criticize them for areas that they might be weak in the faith. You know, in this particular case here, he's dealing with, with eating things. He it says the, the, he may eat all things, but the, who he was weak eats vegetables only. The problem was is, is we have just this 
cultural diversity in the early body of Christ. We had Christians coming in from pagan and Roman and Greek backgrounds, and we, and we had Christians coming in from Jewish background. And Jewish background, they had a list of rules they couldn't couldn't eat. But more particularly in this case, is the food sacrificed to idols. If they were coming from a pagan background, and, and they might have some problems eating food that was sacrificed to idols now that they're a Christian. And this is sacrificed to another god. And they, it, would, it would affect their conscience if they were to eat this food. And what Paul is saying is here is, is, is one person eats all things because we, have, we, we know that he might know that uh, food sacrificed to an idol means nothing. It's all pure by God. But the other person is weak in that area. We're not to judge that person who is weak. We're not to hold that against them. We're actually supposed to, to encourage them and strengthen them and help them. The truth is, it's really easy to fall, find fault in almost anything in somebody's life, though. We can look at somebody's life, and, and we can all pick it apart. There's a story of an old man who's, who's taking a donkey. He's got a donkey. He's taking it down the road, and he has his little grandson, young boy, 10 years old or so, up on the, on the donkey, and he's walking with it, and he's walking beside it, and he's an elderly man. And people would look and go, oh, can you believe it? That young boy is riding up on the donkey making that old man walk. I can't believe that. So he would hear these things. He's like, all right. So then on his way back, he sat on the donkey and he had his grandson walk beside him. And then he would hear this. Can you believe that? That old man is sitting up on the donkey making that poor little grandson walk. So the next time he went out and he goes, okay, we're going to put us both on the donkey. So they're riding the donkey along. And he begins to hear people say, wow, what jerks there. Can you believe how much burden they're putting on that donkey, making him carry all that weight? And he heard this and he was like, man, all right, on the way back, they both walk, and they have the donkey with nothing on them. And you know what he heard? Can you believe that? What a waste of a perfectly good donkey. Nobody's riding. Why aren't they riding it? The truth is, no matter what you do, you can find fault in somebody's life. And we need to be careful, as we, especially as we look at other believers, that we're not criticizing them for areas that we might be stronger in and they might be weaker in. Amen? The truth is, if we would just take care of our own problems and not focus on other people's, we'd probably have a much stronger body. There's an old Chinese proverb that says that if we would just sweep our own doorstep, the world would be clean. You know, Paul said it is, is uh, don't uh, stare at the sliver in your brother's eye while you still have a log in your own. Sorry, Jesus said that. Like I said, Paul's dealing with an issue with incredibly different backgrounds as everybody's coming in. The Jews had restrictions on what they could eat. The Gentiles did not. What Paul's making the point of here is, is even though we come from different backgrounds, we can still co-labor together. We can still be one body. And we shouldn't make it a point of contention between one another. But we should accept our brothers as they are and help them to grow. The truth is that I'm not going to stand before any of you for acceptance before my Lord. And as a matter of fact, you're not going to stand before anybody in, front of the, in this room either. You know, when we stand before God for acceptance at the, end, at the end of the age, when we pass on, it's just going to be you and Him, not the people around us that are pointing and trying to hold you to some sort of standard. It is God who judges and considers us worthy. It's not, it's not me. I, don't, I, I can't uh, make you guys worthy, and, and vice versa. You can't make me worthy. You can't, uh, no matter what you think of me, it doesn't matter. It's what God thinks of me. But at the same token, this isn't to say that we can't speak into one another's lives. The truth is that, you know, in the body of Christ, there's leaders and teachers 
put in, in place for a reason. It's to encourage and build up the body of Christ. You know, there's, there's times that I will speak in your life and I'll, and I'll help you grow. And it's not in a judgmental manner, but it's in, a, it's in a way that I want you to grow. And that's what we have to make sure that we foster. And we'll talk about it a little bit later is, is foster an area of, of love and growth and not condemnation and conviction. You know, we don't stand up here and point and shun people that may be weaker in a certain area of faith, but, but we try to help them grow to a stronger area of faith. But on the same token, you need to be able to have the ability to speak into somebody's life. You know, even, even as a pastor, I can't walk into somebody else's church and begin to speak into somebody else's uh, flock's life because I don't have the right, I don't have the, the uh, I haven't been given permission, nor do I have the respect or anything that I need to speak into somebody's life. And so we have to be very, very careful that uh, especially when we're dealing with, with new believers, maybe believers from, from other churches in our workplace and stuff that definitely... We stand for our beliefs, but on the same token that we don't criticize and judge them for something they might believe a little bit different. You might not have the ability to speak into their life, and if you try to, you don't make things better, you actually make things worse. So make sure you always have permission to speak into somebody's life, that they've given you that opportunity before we just go barging in. Amen? In Romans 14, 5-6, it says, One person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord. For he who gives thanks to God, and he who eats not, for the Lord he does not eat, and gives thanks to God. Like I said, there's a lot of things that are specifically commanded in the Bible that we should or shouldn't do. You know, we are to love one another. We're to love our brothers. We're not to lie, kill, steal. Yeah, that's right. I almost thought I said the word wrong, and I said it right. See what you guys are doing to me? You know, we're not supposed to cheat. We're supposed to, you know, don't commit adultery. I mean, there's, there's, there's some specific stuff. There. There's no confusion on what's, what's allowed by God, right? But there's other stuff, like I said, that, that are not. They're not specifically mentioned or they're not specifically categorized, for lack of a better term. But the truth is that those things, like I said, we rely on our own conviction. You know, there's some things that are sin for me that may not be sin for you. And vice versa, there's things that might be sin for you that might not be sin for me. There's some stuff that I may have liberty in, but that, and like I said, we'll look at it later specifically when he deals with it. If you don't do something from faith and conviction in your heart, then it is sin for you. It's wrong for you to do if you can't do it with that kind of faith. <clears throat> it says right here, each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. You know, an example of that is... Uh, this Halloween, when we, when we had our little Halloween deal out there, out here out front, and we were reaching out to people. You know, there's a lot of churches that, that are so against Halloween, they'll have nothing to do with it. And in our case, it would be easy for them to criticize what we're doing. What are you doing getting involved in this pagan holiday? What are you, what are you doing? We were celebrating something on a day that's decidedly a non-Christian day. But why were we doing it? For us... We did it fully convinced in our minds. We were, we were confident that what we were doing was for the Lord. We did it for the Lord. We observed that day for the Lord. So I'm convinced that, that it, uh, you know, I have no issue with doing those things. But there's some people that might. And in the same token, I'm not going to criticize them for what they believe because I, I understand where they're coming from. And it would be wrong of me to force somebody who believed that way to participate in what we did. But at the same token, we could do so because we did it for the Lord. Amen. 
You know, there's other things that happen in the church today, particularly in, in churches and modern churches that, that uh, worship and celebrate like we do with the music the way, the way we do and stuff like that, that traditional Christian churches might criticize for how we do things. You know, that they grew up on, on doing things with hymns. As a matter of fact, there's, uh, uh, there's stuff that, uh, that I dealt with with a church, a guy who didn't believe in uh, uh, musical instruments in church. It was from the Church of Christ, and I've, I've recently learned that not all Church of Christ believe the same way, but this particular man did, and, and uh, yeah, we definitely disagreed on that subject. I'm all about having a guitar and drums and getting down while we worship God, getting loud and, and just throwing away inhibitions, but they don't. They believe that uh, no instruments, you only sing. But the truth is that even so, even though we definitely disagree on that, we can still co-labor together. We still preach Christ. As long as we don't judge one another for that. You know, if, if I look at him with contempt because of that, I've limited my ability to work with him. And vice versa, if he looks at me with contempt in that way, we limit our ability to co-labor in a unified body for Christ. Another one is the, gift of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of places that believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit aren't for today. I believe that they are, and I believe that Scripture backs that up. But the truth is that if it doesn't mean I have to, I can't have fellowship with another brother or sister in Christ who believes differently than I do. This is stuff that, that like I said, it's not a salvation issue. Matter of fact, Jesus deals with it this way. Do you remember after Jesus met Peter after he was raised from the dead and he says, he, uh, he redeemed Peter, says, if you love me, take care of my sheep, and he goes through that whole thing. And he points to John, Peter points to John and, and asks, well, what about him? And uh, it says, so Peter in John 21, 20, verses 21 through 22, it says, so Peter seeing him said to Jesus, and Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to me, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. You know, we need to spend time focusing on, on us following Jesus instead of worrying about how other people are following Jesus. Amen? The truth is, if they're convinced in their own mind, then they're on the right track. They're serving God with everything that they have. Romans 14, 7-9 says, For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. This not one of us is referring to, for not one of us is referring to those of us who are in the Lord, those who have Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. The truth is that if you have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that you should be living for him and not for yourself. We were bought with a price. We call him Lord, not just because that's what other people do. It's not just the Christian thing to do to call him Lord. We call him Lord because he's the Lord of our lives. That's the title that we've given him in our lives. In 2 Corinthians 5.15 it says, And he died for all, so that, those, so that they who live may no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. You know, he died so that we could live for him. And the truth is that we would do well if we keep this in mind when we evaluate the body of Christ. When we look at people, we need to recognize that, that Christ died for them so that they could serve, that they could serve him. That's, that's how we should evaluate people is that he died for them because the truth is that our value was set by the price that he paid. When you go and buy a house in a new neighborhood, you know how they determine the value of homes 
If you've ever bought a used house, you know it has nothing to do with the cost of the materials that it was used to build that house. There are some houses that are in today's market are worth much less than it would cost to physically rebuild that house. The cost of materials costs more than it would to rebuild that house. And there are other areas in, in this world where the cost of materials is so far underneath what that house is worth based on where the land is and where it's located at. But basically what they do to, one of the big things that they use to determine the value of a home is they look at similar homes in the area and they see what they've been selling for. What have people been paying for this home? And that's how you can determine what your home is worth because you can see what other people were paying for it. And that's how we've determined our worth is what somebody was willing to pay for us. Jesus gave his life. There's, there's not a cost in this world that is more than that. We've been basically been considered priceless because of his death. When we look at people, we need to recognize that that's their value. Not based on their minor disbeliefs that we have, not judging them on areas that they might be weaker in the faith than us, or them, and vice versa, judging us in areas that we might be weaker in the faith than them. In 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 2, Paul says this, And when I come to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I think if the body of Christ would just look at each other in that way, if we would know nothing about each other except for Jesus Christ and Him crucified, the price that He paid, that the body of Christ would be incredibly strong. Instead of looking at each other and, and pointing out faults and failures or pointing out where, oh, you believe that, no, we believe this, that means we're superior. If we would look at each other and realize that according to God we were all equal, the same price was paid for each and every one of us, and we could come together in unity, we would take this world by storm. Instead of being divided, the denominations of the, of the church today are one of the greatest hindrances to the church right now because none of us want to work together because we all have our own little ways of doing things. Then in Romans 14, 10 through 11, Paul continues and he says, But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So here's where we find out our job as believers is to not judge, not to be judges of our, judges of our brothers in this particular area. We're not supposed to judge how another Christian walks his Christian life. Paul wants to know why you're judging when we will all kneel before the Lord, basically is saying, why are you judging when it's not your job? We can obviously hear that everyone will bow to the Lord. It's God's job, God's job to judge us in where we stand. One of these days I'm going to have to figure out how to talk without mumbling my words. I don't know if, my, if I just think too fast in my head and I put stuff together. The other, the other day at Bible study, I put an entire sentence into one word while I was talking to, to Monique. An entire sentence in one word. She, I was trying to say that the coffee wasn't sweet because she said she dipped her finger in it. I said, that's not that's why it's not sweet. That's why it's bitter. I said all of that by saying sweater. <laughs> oh, we were riding in the car home yesterday, and my Allie's talking to us, and she's doing it too. I'm like, oh my goodness, it's rubbing off on the whole family. Then Michelle, she says something, starts mixing up words. Monique was doing it the other day. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Praise God. Oh, thank God we have grace. Amen. Amen. Praise God. 
Paul wants to know, why are you judging when it's not your job? It is the Lord's job to judge. You know, doing stuff that's not your job, that's not your position to do, is, is really a ridiculous thing if you think about it. You know, we look at some extreme examples. Like, could you, I mean, <laughs> you see it in Disney, the kids' shows all the time, the Disney shows, when, you know, one of the, usually the, the, the non-intelligent kid of the group walks in, into a costume and he has a doctor suit on and they grab him, doctor, come here, we need you to operate. And they walk in like, all right, let's do it. Can you imagine if I walked into a room and threw on a, threw on a, a gown and began to try to operate on somebody? Can you imagine what would happen? I can't think of anything good happening out of that. One, if I could, if I could keep my lunch, we'd be doing good. <laughs> Two, if I didn't screw something up, I mean, the person's probably not going to make it because it's not my job. It's not what I'm trained. It's not what I know how to do. It's not what I should be doing. Or how would you feel if, if the city called me in to inspect the bridges that are going over the overpass on I-10 to make sure they were in good shape? I mean, I just walked. Looks good. <laughs> Looks like all the other ones. I mean, that's not the kind of, uh, that's not my position. What about if they called me to design them? I mean, that's not my position. Me doing somebody else's job would just be kind of ridiculous. The truth is that judgment is the job of Jesus. In John 5.22 it says, For not even the Father judges anyone, but he who has given all judgment to the Son. The truth is we're to answer the Lord for our actions. And so are all other believers. None of them are going to answer to me, and none of them are going to answer to you. And if they're not required to answer to me, and if they're not required to answer to you... Why would we think that we need to pipe in and give our, our judgment on what they're doing, right? John 13, sorry, John 3, 16 through 18 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God, God did not send the Son in the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He believes in him is not judged, and he who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. See, the reason I bring this verse in this here is, is we need to make some things clear before we get to the next verse in, in the book of Romans. We've just been talking about judgment, and, uh, and I know if you've, you guys have been with me for a while and you've heard me talk about judgment, you've heard me use this very same verse here before that says that he who believes in him is not judged, but I've just been talking about Jesus judging people. Jesus is going to be the judge of our lives. So let's get some, some fundamentals down with judgment regarding sin, because we're actually dealing with two different types of judgment. There's judgment regarding sin, and then there's judgment of, of what we do with our lives, giving an account to Jesus of what we did for our lives as Christians. So the first thing we learn in, it was in Romans 3.23 as we've been going through the book of Romans is that all have fallen short of the glory of God, right? We have all sinned. We've all fallen short. Next we learned in 6.23 that the penalty for sin is death. The truth is that if you've sinned, the penalty for that is death. There's no way around that. There's no, it doesn't matter if you're Jew, Greek, if you're uh, a Gentile, Christian. It doesn't rich, poor, fat, skinny, great job, poor job. It doesn't matter if you've sinned. The penalty for that is death, right? God's a just God. He's not a respecter of persons, and it doesn't matter. That is the penalty that must be paid no matter who you are. But we see in this verse that, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, 
but have eternal life. The truth is that God sent His Son to pay that price. That price had to be paid. There's no getting out of it. There was no way we were going to get out of that. The price had to be paid. But He paid it in His Son. Because of His Son, we don't pay for it personally. The Bible says that if you're a believer, you will not be judged for sin because Jesus has already bore that judgment for you. Right here it says that he who believes in him is not judged and he who does not believe in him has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of, of the Son. In Hebrews 9:27 through 28 it says, And insomuch as it is appointed for men to die once after this comes judgment. So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. The truth is that all men do have to come under judgment. And the truth is we would, we would have had to pay that price, except for Jesus paid it for us. It says that he was, been, he was offered once to bear the sins of many. Jesus bore the sins of us so that we would not have to. So that when he returns again, it says he will return without reference to sin. You know, when Jesus comes back, he's not going to be looking at, oh, look at all these different things you did. The one question is going to remain is, did you believe in me or did you not? That's why that if we believe in him, we don't come under judgment because the judgment was already passed on to Jesus. And, and it says that if we don't believe in him, we've already been judged because we've made that decision ourselves. John 5.24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And he does not come into judgment, but he has passed out of death into life. So I hope I've made it clear, I want to point this out before, before we get to the next verse where it talks about being, giving an account that it's not talking in reference to sin. We don't have to worry ever that we're going to stand before God and He's going to say, yeah, you would get in, but do you remember that time on the Super Bowl when your team wasn't winning and you, you let that uh, curse out? Yeah, that, that was the last straw. You're out of here. We never have to worry about that because all of our sins have been judged in Jesus Christ. That's not what's coming up. So let's get on to it. Romans 14.12 says, So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. You know, I remember before I, I fully had a revelation of what was going on before, I was like, man, what does this mean? i got to give an account to God. I thought it said that I was, sin was taken care of. What does this mean? I, mean? I mean, that terrifies me to stand in front of Jesus and him going, you remember what you did on this day? You remember what you, I mean, but the truth is, the Bible says that, that our sins are as far from us as the east is to the west, and that he will remember them no more. God will remember our sins no more. We're not going to be standing in front of Jesus as he pulls out his, his clipboard and he's got his paddle in his hand so he can point out all of our failures. The truth is that we're going to give an account to what we've done with the life that God's given us. It's not in regards to sin. It's in regard to our walk. Were you generous with your earthly wealth? Were you there for your brother? Was your life a witness to God's love? You will give an account for the words that you spoke. In Matthew 12, 36, it says, But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for in the day of judgment. Did you reach anyone with the gospel, or did you just sit around on your blessed assurance? The truth is, is that one day we're going to stand before God. Before Jesus, in Matthew 25, 21, it says, His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. The question is, when we stand before Jesus, is he going to say, Well done, good and faithful servant? Or as Dr. Leon likes to say, will he say, Well done? 
like I said, this isn't in regards to sin. The result of this accounting is not going to result in you going to heaven or hell. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can be assured and certain of, of your seat in heaven. You can be assured that you will go to heaven, and that's not what this is speaking of. But the truth is that, that God saved us for a reason. We were saved for good works in Him. We have a purpose in this life for to reach out to those around us. We have a sphere of influence that we can impact. And we'll answer for what we did with that. In 1 Corinthians 3, 7-9 through 9, it says, So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters in anything, but it's God who causes growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field and God's building. So that was 1 Corinthians 3, 7-9, through 9, and it says, But you will each receive your own reward according to your own labor. We're going to stand for God expecting our reward. This is where he's going to reward us for the work that we've done. 2 Timothy 4, 6-8, it says, For I am being, already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. This is Paul speaking. In verse 7, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but also to, to, but also to all who have loved his appearing. The truth is we're going to be awarded crown. We're going to be rewarded for, for what we've done with what God's given us. In Revelations 22.12, and the reason I bring this one up, because when I first read these verses, all right, I, I, I'm starting to understand that, uh, that this isn't for sin. We're going to be giving an account for what we've done with what God's given us. But it's not for sin, so I'm not going to heaven or hell over this. I'm already assured of my position in heaven because of the Son of God. His price paid was more than enough. But then I begin reading about the rewards that we'll be giving for what we've done. And I think to myself personally, and I don't know how this is all going to work out in heaven. I don't, I don't understand fully. <clears throat> but I think to myself, well, if we're given rewards for when we get to heaven... I thought heaven was with, without fear, without jealousy, without pride, without all of these things. How is this going to work? How can one person be given a greater reward than the other? You know, the, the, the funny analogy that's given is when you get to heaven, are you going to live in a shack or a mansion? You know, but it seems to me that that would promote a system of jealousy or, and stuff like that. And I don't know how it's all going to work. Maybe uh, being fully renewed, the jealousy is just not even a part of our life and we understand what's going on or... But the Bible says in Revelation 22.12, it says, Behold, I am coming quickly. Oh, I got the wrong verse. This is the last one. Behold, I am coming quickly. My reward is with me to render every man according to what he has done. Once again, Jesus is talking about the reward that he is giving. Sorry about that. Revelation 4.9-11 says, And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever, and they will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of you, because of your will, they existed and were created. You know, there's scholars that are, that are smarter than me that talk about these 24 elders. And it's, they're oftentimes referred to as the body of Christ. It's, it's not 24 specific people per se, but it's, it's the body of Christ we're going to throw our crowns before him. We will be rewarded, but we're still going to give them as an offering to Jesus. Everything that we do in this life will bring glory to him. Even in the day of accounting, what we've done is going to bring glory to him. 
And that will be our reward, is being able to honor Jesus Christ. But that's the point I wanted to make, is that we will give an account for what we've done. And, and like I said, I don't want to be the one standing before Jesus and going, what do you got? Nothing. Thanks for saving me. But uh, you know, I didn't do anything with that. I didn't do anything with the grace and the love that you give me. I want to stand before him and, and, and know that I fought the good fight, that I finished the race. Amen? Then Romans 14 13, it says, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. So now that we know that we're not to judge one another, we learn that we have an even greater responsibility. The truth is that even if you found liberty in something, we need to be very careful that exercising that liberty doesn't cause one another to stumble. You know, Paul dealt with this situation in the Corinth church when in 1 Corinthians 8, 11 through 13, it says, for through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined. This knowledge he's talking about is, is the knowledge that a stronger brother has that food sacrificed to an idol is nothing. But it says, through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined. The brother for whose sake Christ died. And so by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sinned against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. Saying your knowledge, your knowing that eating food sacrificed to an idol is nothing, is not sin, has actually become a sin because you flaunted it in front of a brother who's still coming from a different background, who's not as strong in the faith as you are in that area. You've caused him to stumble. You've caused an offense to him. And by doing so, you've actually sinned against Christ. Because, like Paul says, that this brother you've ruined, Christ died for his sake. You know, if someone struggles with anger, don't provoke them to anger. If someone used to be an alcoholic, and they're still struggling with that, they're, they're still, still being healed in that area, you probably don't want to take them to lunch at Famous Sam's. How I many you know it's not a sin to go eat lunch at Famous Sam's? We have that liberty. We can eat there. It's a place to eat lunch, no problem. But if you take someone that's fighting with alcoholism and they're still being healed in that area and you take them there, your liberty has caused ruin for your brother. Now it's become sin. So what does this mean? That if, if we're not supposed to judge, does this mean that we're not supposed to hold each other accountable? I don't think it means that either. In 1 John 5, 16-17, it says, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will for him give life to those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should make requests for this. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not leading to death. Matthew 18, 15-17 says, If your brother sins, go and show him fault, his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him, to be, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. We have to be very careful, too, that, that not judging people does not mean that, that we don't hold people accountable. This doesn't mean that if you see somebody in adultery that, that you're not supposed to, 
to deal with that. If they're your brother, and like I said, if it's somebody that you can speak into their life. We have to be very careful that we have the, the right to speak into somebody's life before we go barging in. But, you know, when, when you see somebody sinning and, and, and you have the right to speak into their life, you know, if, if I were to see one of you guys doing something and I say, you know, this isn't right, we need to work on this, and you go, don't judge me. I mean, you know, that's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's dealing with here is, is areas of weakness in the faith and, and growing as Christians and, and giving people the opportunity of stuff that's not specifically dealt with. You know, we don't judge other Christians for not believing in the gifts of the Spirit, believing in healing or believing in the gift of speaking in tongues. Or we don't judge people for not believing that they need music and worship, and, and we do. That's, that's what Paul's dealing with. He's not dealing with sin here. The truth is, if you see your brother sinning, the Bible says first, Try to deal with it in private. Take it up to them and say, hey, you know, this is... They may not even realize that they're doing something wrong. They may not even realize that they're, they're, they're in opposition to God. So we, we take it to them in private. We don't embarrass them. We don't call them out. But we talk to them in private. And in that case... Is she okay? Mm. In that case, uh, we don't... We don't oh, I lost my place now. Oh, and in the case of dealing with them in private, if they're still not, they're not dealing with them, they, they don't want to accept that, then it says you take two or three witnesses. In that case, it's, you take a couple people that also have the right to speak in their life. It doesn't do any good if we take people to just start barging into their life. It becomes a gossip situation and not a situation for, for building somebody up and, and growing them. The truth is that, that the whole purpose of all of this right here, of, of talking to your brother, is, is not for pointing out his sin and making him feel bad. It's not for trying to criticize him or condemn him. But the truth is, it's for, the truth is it's for building him up. It's trying to redeem him, trying to restore him to the position that he was before. Amen? And then right here it says, uh, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask God, and, and God will for him give life to those who commit sin, not leading to death. When you see somebody that's struggling in an area, you pray for them. The sin not leading to death, there's only one sin that leads to, to the final death, and that's not accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior. And I actually had to call my pastor. I'm like, what does this mean? Don't pray for them. if they're Basically, there's a sin leading to death, which is, which is not accepting Jesus Christ. And John says, I don't say you should make a request for them. I'm like, what do you mean don't pray for them? And what he's trying to say is, is that, that you can't praise somebody into heaven if they've not accepted Jesus Christ. What he's saying is, don't ask God to, to forgive them when they won't accept Jesus Christ, because that's not going to work. You can't, I mean, you can pray for somebody to accept Jesus, but you can't pray that they would be forgiven, that they would work through it if they haven't accepted Jesus. So what do you do instead? Preach to them. People haven't accepted Jesus. You preach to them. You don't pray for them to be saved. You preach to them so they can receive Jesus so that they will be saved. Amen? And then finally it says that if two or three go to him and he refuses to listen, he refuses to listen, it says, tell it to the church. What this doesn't mean is stand up and tell everybody in the church about someone's faults and failures. What it means by tell it to the church is that you go to the leadership in the church and let the leadership deal with the situation. It definitely doesn't mean that we tell everybody in the church so they can all point fingers and, and, uh, and try to condemn or make this person feel bad. That's, that's gossip at that point. Yeah. Amen? The biggest thing that you have to remember that is, is 
the point of this is to redeem somebody, to bring them back. You know, the harshest part about it here, it says, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let them be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. The truth is that there comes a point when somebody is, is and when he's not, he's not talking about people that you're talking to and they're trying to do the right thing. They're struggling and they still may be falling, but they keep getting back up. The point we've gotten to here is the person that refuses to get back up. They refuse to, to make a change and operate in faith. And there comes a point in, in, in the body that, you, that we may have to, you know, you have to stand against somebody that's saying, you know, listen, if you're not going to do the right thing, if you're not even going to try, if you're not going to operate in faith, then, you know, you're not, you're not welcome here until you're willing to reconcile that. And I thank God that, uh, that hopefully we'll never have to ever reach that position with anybody because that's not something I definitely want to deal with. But the truth is, like I said, this is always for redemption. It's always to bring somebody back into to good graces. It's never to condemn. It's never to make them feel bad. And it's never to lord something over them. Amen? Romans 14, 14 through 18, it says, I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who is in this way serves Christ as acceptable to God and approved by men. See, once again here we're talking, Paul's still dealing with that same issue, the, the food issue. I mean, the, if you've ever read Leviticus chapter 11, it gives this long list of what foods are okay. And just a quick sum up, it says, here's what, here's what was clean to the Jews. They could eat mammals that chew the cud and, and have a part in the hoof. Fish with scales, birds with clean characteristics, and insects. Locusts and grasshoppers, they were allowed to eat those. Pretty much everything else was dirty. Swine, cats, dogs, horses, and a long list of other animals that aren't in those particular categories. Fish without scales, shellfish, soft-bodied marine animals, sea mammals, birds of prey, scavengers, reptiles, amphibians. These are all things they weren't allowed to eat. You know, last night we went to uh, uh, Cabana's, I think. It's a, an Italian restaurant, and we got some calamari. Michelle hates it, but I like it. And that's squid. You know, I was, I, was enjoy, I was enjoying my liberty in Christ to eat me some squid. But the truth is, is that if that were to cause somebody to stumble... If I was eating with somebody who was, who was a Jew that just converted to Christianity and I was doing that and they're still growing in knowledge of that and it would cause them to stumble, then that would be sin because I wouldn't be operating out of love. That's the key thing. In everything that we do, we need to make sure we're operating out of love, thinking about the other person. As we've read in other scriptures, treating everyone else is more important than ourselves. You want your relationship with your, your wife or your husband to be stronger? Treat them as more important than yourself. Everything you do, do out of love. Think to yourself, you know, how is this going to affect the other person? What I do? Paul is saying here, the truth is that everything is clean. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. If you're in Jesus, nothing is unclean in and of itself. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. You know, Jesus said it like this. It is in Matthew fifteen eleven. It says, "It is not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth. This defiles the mouth, defiles the man." The truth is that if in our exercising our liberty it hurts our brother, 
then we're not walking in love. We are sinning in that instance. Basically, what Paul's saying is we need to make sure that our liberty is not used for evil. You know that your liberty in Christ would be being used for evil if it causes your brother to stumble? The truth is the kingdom of God is not wrapped up in our liberties. How many of you know that you can live an incredible Christian life and never eat meat again? Because out of love, you want to make sure that you don't cause a brother to stumble. You know, probably the the biggest, most recognized one that we see today that can cause people to stumble is, is alcohol. Truthfully, in the Bible, there's nothing specifically against drinking alcohol. Drinking alcohol is not a sin, specifically in the Bible. Getting drunk is. And I would, I would recommend not even playing with that tiger. You don't even mess with it. I'm, I'll never tell you that it's, that it's a good idea to go drink. Because it's too, too slippery a slope to walk. It's too dangerous of a thing to mess with. You know, as a Christian, we shouldn't be living our lives seeing how close we can be to the edge without touching the edge, right? But that's probably the biggest one today. And I tell you what, I'll never drink again if knowing that drinking at one point could cause my brother to stumble, who's, who's struggling with, with alcoholism. Or, or what about there's, there's Christians out there that believe that uh, you shouldn't drink at all, there's, there's nothing to it. There's other Christians that believe that it's okay to drink. And like I said in the Bible, it's... It's no really, nothing specifically says that drinking is a sin. Getting drunk is a sin. But if we cause our brother who, who is so convicted that it is a sin, that if we drink it from him, that it causes him angst, it, it offends him, we're actually sinning. We're causing him, him pain. We're causing him problems. We're causing him to be offended. Then we're not operating in love. You know, in order to help somebody grow in knowledge, to help somebody grow in knowing their liberty in Christ, you don't do that by shoving it down their throat and arguing with them and telling them, no, this and this and this. You walk alongside them and you, and you help them grow. And in love, you begin to teach them their liberty in Christ. You know, if there's, there are little children that are afraid of the dark and they think there's something hiding in the closet. And of course, we all know, and the mom definitely knows there's nothing in the closet. You're going to be fine. But our knowledge, the mother's knowledge that there's nothing in the, clo- in, the, in, the, in the closet is not enough to, to make that child not be afraid of the dark. Our knowledge is not going to help the child get through that situation. But you know what does? Walking beside that child and putting your arm around them and comforting them in their time of, of fear and, and helping them grow into the knowledge that there's nothing in that closet. In the same way we do that with our Christian brothers and sisters who, are, who maybe are, are not aware of their liberties in Christ. We do that alongside them, not in such a way to offend them or make their life hard. If we serve in such a way that we put our brethren first, then we are being acceptable to God. Romans 14, 19-21, it says, So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up for one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food, all things indeed are clean, but they are evil for a man who eats and gives offense. It is, not, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything by which your brother stumbles. Our goal as believers is to, to keep peace in the body and to help each other grow. The weak and strong builder, the weak believer and the strong believer both need to be built up. The truth is the weak believer needs to grow in knowledge of the truth. We need to, to walk alongside new believers and the weak believers and help them grow. 
When a child is young, we coddle them. We, we get stuff for them. If they need a drink, we get them a drink. If they need something, you know, if they need to, to cut something with scissors, we usually do that for them so they don't hurt themselves. And as they get older, we give them, you know, safety scissors. And, but as they grow, we need to continue to treat them more and more like adults so they can grow in maturity. There comes a point in your life when, when you don't want to be doing everything for your kid or they'll never grow. They'll, they'll never become the adult that they're supposed to be. And the same thing is with believers. In the beginning, you know, we walk alongside of them and, and we, we help them to grow. We do what we need to do to help them to grow into the mature Christians. But at some point, they will need to grow up. And that's the weak believer needs to grow. But the strong believer needs to grow as well. They need to grow in love. You know, you can't help a weak believer grow. You can't help somebody who is weaker in the faith than you if, if you don't exercise a strong love in your life and grow in love in your life to walk alongside of them. Paul says, don't tear down the work of God for the sake of food. And for the sake of food, you can enter in any one of your liberties in Christ. Don't tear down the work of God for your sake so you can do what you want to do. Always operate in love. It is better for the strong believer to give up his liberty in order that the weaker believer would have the opportunity to grow up and be strong. Amen? And the last scripture we're going to look at today is Romans 14, 22-23. It says, The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. There's many things in our lives that we need to make decisions on, decisions of faith on. When we exercise our liberties from faith, we do well. But when we do things in doubt, then we're actually sinning. There's going to be things in your life that, that you're not sure about. You're not, the Bible doesn't specifically say whether this is sin or whether it's not. And you're going to have to make a decision. You're going to have to, to pray about it and ask God and, and listen to what it, your conscience testifies to you about and if you do it in faith, that you're doing the right thing, you're going to be fine. But if you don't, if you, if you do something with that, if you're not convinced that, that this is okay, that you have liberty in this area, then what you're doing, you're actually doing it in sin. An example in our, our everyday lives would be watching TV. Oh, watching TV. The big time sink that it is. It's funny for me, I'm, I'm not a big TV watcher. I just have my, my own, my own uh, other time sinks. <laughs> you know, TV can be such an addiction for some people that it can overcome your life. You can spend your entire life watching TV to the extent that you don't get anything accomplished. You're not, uh, you're not doing the things for the Lord that you should. You're not doing the things for your family that you should. You actually become worthless for lack of a better word because your whole life is wrapped up in sitting in front of the TV watching, uh, watching what the next housewives are going to do. So you may become convicted. You realize that this is a problem in your life and, and you feel like that you need to just walk away from TV completely. You have a conviction in your heart that God says you know, for you that you need to step away from this. For you, it may be sin to go back to watching TV because of what it does to you in your life. For me, it might not be because TV doesn't have that big of a hold on me. But there, everybody has different things that are going to affect them differently. The, the fact of the matter is, you just need to know that you need to do them in, in faith and confidence. 
and make that decision of faith. If you do it from faith, you're fine. If you do it from a position of doubt, then you're not. We must trust our conscience because if we don't condemn ourselves in what we are doing it and we do it from faith, then we're not in opposition to God so long as it does not cause a brother to stumble. Amen? So let's go ahead and uh, let's live our lives in such a way that, that uh, we exercise our liberties in a way that it's not going to affect other people. We're going to be examples to those around us. We're going to build our brothers and sisters in Christ up, especially as we grow and our body becomes diverse. We're going to see different things happening. And we need to make sure that in everything that we do in the body of the Christ, we're operating out of love. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and uh, stand to our feet.